Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the Capital Club Podcast. I'm your host, Brian C. Adams. Tune in weekly to hear from top industry leaders as we discuss relevant topics in the world of business, investing, health and wellness, geopolitics, and more. To learn more about the show, visit excelsiorgp.com slash podcast. Hello and welcome to the Capital Club Podcast. Today I have with me Mel Warshaw and David Les Perrance. David is a renowned international tax and immigration advisor with over three decades of experience. He co-authored a pivotal book on the impact of global wealth migration. His expertise was honed during his time as a Canadian immigration and customs officer while studying law. Since his call to the bar in 1990, David has provided expert counsel to numerous high net worth families, crafting tax efficient and livable backup plans that safeguard family wealth and well-being. With over 40 years of experience, Mel Warshaw has been helping high net worth individuals, families, and companies navigate the intricate world of personal and business tax matters. He specializes in cross-border income and estate tax planning and compliance in the U.S., making him a go-to authority in the field. David Mel, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Our pleasure, Brian. Happy to be here, Brian. So we're recording this in November of, of 2023, and fair to say the world seems like it's falling apart. We have obviously the war going on in Europe, tensions rising in Southeast Asia, and what looks like a burgeoning conflict in the Middle East amongst all kinds of domestic issues that we don't necessarily need to categorize here. But suffice to say, an uncertain, chaotic world for sure. I'm curious with juxtaposing that and the conversations you're having along with the data that you all scrape, what has the trend line been like broad picture for migration of ultra high net worth individuals and family offices that you've seen play out across your client base and the data points that you track? 
Maybe I'll jump in, and this is a dangerous analogy for a Canadian to be using these days, but imagine you're in a wildfire zone. And so what are your wildfire concerns? And you've named a number of them. It's also increased, particularly for Americans, it would be things such as increases in anti-Semitism or racism or political polarization matched with an increase in mass shooting events. I grew up across from Detroit when it was Murder City, but back then it was two drug dealers shooting at each other with Saturday Night Specials. Now it's people walking into soft targets with assault weapons. Those are all wildfire concerns. Some wildfire concerns may also be taxation, etc. If you're looking at wildfire concerns, and, and certainly the wildfires have been raging all over the world and increasing tremendously, what are the logical things that you do? Well, you may fight the fire with regards to voting and all those types of things, but even a jump master, you don't fight a fire unless you've got fire prevention and at least two escape paths for you in case you're unsuccessful in fighting the fire. So fire prevention would be for Americans who were concerned about taxation. Maybe they'll move to a low-tax state or they'll do all the normal domestic planning. Maybe they'll get close personal security. Maybe they will get a dog or a gun, all those types of things. But logically, they'd also get fire insurance. Would you be an alternative residence, alternative citizenship, because Americans particularly have this unique citizenship-based taxation and there's some risks of only having a single passport. And then you would have a fire escape plan. And maybe I'll turn it over to Mel to talk about go bag, Americans living abroad, or expatriation. Yeah. I share David's comments. I am aware of Jewish people in the United States who are seeing visions of the Holocaust on their television screen, something they thought they would never see. Many of the experiences that we're hearing about on college campuses. We also know that the current Speaker of the House, recently elected, proposed funding aid for Israel by slashing the IRS's budget. And this did not go over well, and we don't have yet aid to Israel, but we have political quagmire in the United States and we're unsure about what's going to happen in the 2024 election. So all of these, as David indicated, are motivating Americans, and particularly Americans with wealth, to at least consider obtaining a second passport. Now, obtaining a second passport alone does nothing for an American because, as David indicated, unlike virtually every other Western country or industrialized country, the United States taxes not only on the basis of residency, but also on the basis of citizenship in respect to its income tax and also in respect to its estate and gift tax. And so therefore, just moving abroad for an American does not solve the problem. So moving abroad, as David is intimately familiar Typically, a wealthy American might consider a citizenship by investment, and making that investment could be tricky. For example, do, are you going to have a foreign bank account? If so, that will trigger FBAR reporting in the U.S. every year. 
is the amount in the account any day during the year will be over $10,000, will also perhaps trigger PFIC reporting on Form 8621, something that not a lot of individuals are aware of. And so that's simply for the privilege of buying or making an investment to obtain a second citizenship, perhaps in an EU country, perhaps not in an EU country. But then if an American citizen, as well as long-term green card holder, wishes to completely end their U.S. citizenship or terminate their long-term green card status, then we have serious U.S. exit tax considerations and very serious and draconian U.S. inheritance tax implications. Typically, before an American citizen or long-term green card holder undertakes the, the actual termination of their connection to the U.S., either a formal renunciation interview for a citizen or filing an I-407 with the USCIS for a green card holder, one can undertake pre-expatriation planning. And that's something that David and I spend a lot of our time doing. We coordinate because it's very important that we integrate our advice to clients and that the timing be correct. One of the requirements when you leave the U.S. is in addition to possibly having to pay an exit tax, on your worldwide appreciated assets, you have to certify to full U.S. tax compliance for the five years preceding your year of expatriation. And in many cases, David and I find that individuals are not fully U.S. tax compliant. They don't have skilled U.S. tax accountants who know the ins and outs of foreign international reporting. And so therefore, I am typically involved in some type of remediation of prior unfiled returns. And believe me, the IRS takes this very seriously. This morning, Brian, I received an email from a client for whom I did some late filing. It's a corporate situation, late filing 5472s, because these foreigners, they were from Canada, owned a business in the U.S. and they didn't timely file Form 5472. And the automated assessment from the IRS was an assessment of $25,000 for each of five tax years for which they didn't file this form. Now, we had submitted, I had submitted a reasonable cause statement when earlier this year I did submit the delinquent returns and we included in the reasonable cause statement why we didn't think we had any penalties. There's a small corporation exception, but no individual at the IRS has looked at it, has looked at what I've written. And so that's why the client received this automatic penalty. I think I'll stop there, but I get the sense you hear what I'm saying. It's complicated and there's a lot going on. So let's go through this methodically. I think we've set the, the scenario here where there's a lot going on in the world, internationally as well as domestically. Can you maybe speak to a fact pattern that you all have seen play out in your experience? You've got a great white paper that we'll provide the link to about having a backup plan. But maybe before we get into how to start this conversation, before we get into the minutia, could you provide an example of a client that utilized this backup plan or a realistic situation where you saw it play out? And then we can use that 
as a foundation for the broader conversation. If it's okay with David, I'd like to use the example of our client who we met through. And so let me explain. This client was, was a Silicon Valley entrepreneur, and he comes to me in the end of 2020 saying, I have a Maltese passport and I want to renounce my U.S. citizenship. And so this was during the height of COVID and the individual quickly in early 2021 said to me, oh, and I have an appointment at a U.S. consulate for a formal renunciation. And I'm scratching my head thinking all the U.S. consulates are closed. He said, no, I have this terrific immigration lawyer who has gotten me an appointment in Auckland, New Zealand for a renunciation appointment. And that's how I met David, because David, unlike virtually any other immigration lawyer, was able to secure a renunciation appointment when I thought all U.S. consulates would be closed for that purpose. Go ahead, David. I was going to say, so up to this point, there had been a, a, so the first thing we needed to do from an immigration point of view is we needed to get another, another citizenship. So sometimes clients have citizenships because they immigrated to the United States. For example, Eduardo Saverin of Facebook fame came from Brazil. So he already had another citizenship. Sometimes clients have citizenship because they have some descendant from a European country. So there's a lineage citizenship. Sometimes they purchase it, which he did, for example, there's a number of different countries that you can do that. He purchases from Malta. We also, which has seemed to be quite popular with Silicon Valley clients, we had also got him a New Zealand residence because he liked New Zealand, which meant that he had the ability. The problem was not, we could get an appointment in Auckland. The problem was getting into New Zealand to go to that, to the U.S. Embassy. So it was understanding all these things, getting the appointments. And unlike a lot of people that deal in this area, I, I like Mel, we're, we're fee-based advisors. I don't get paid money from a Portugal or a government. Um, in fact, if we have to go to a residence or citizenship by investment, we flow that money back to the client. So they know it's, it's agnostic. That's one thing. The second thing is being able to understand what Mel is doing and do what I'm doing in sequence with his plan. It's the integration he talked about before. Because an immigration advisor who's operating in isolation of the tax person is a very dangerous character. So I would let me just back up, Brian, and say that when I met the client, I asked the client, as I always do, could you please send me your personal balance sheet? And he was in Silicon Valley. And when I received it, I pretty much fell off my chair because of the magnitude of wealth, primarily in two concentrated positions in non-traded U.S. companies. And I said to the client, gee, would you like to set up a $10 million pre-expatriation trust for your U.S. citizen siblings or parents? This individual's in his 40s, not married, never married, no dependents. And he said, no, I think they're all fine. And then when I looked at his balance sheet, I realized that we were going to owe very multiple millions of dollars of exit tax because he had these two very large pre-IPO positions. 
So one of my uh, value propositions for this client was that early on, because I knew we would have to value for expatriation purposes as of April 2021, when David had arranged for the interview in Auckland, we would have to value these two very large outsized private stock positions. And so we retained a national valuation firm that came back and confirmed an 8% blockage discount for each of these two enormous positions. Well, an 8% blockage discount was very significant tax savings for this client because he had these two very large non-traded positions that ultimately he got out of. And so, yeah, the return is still pending, but we attached with the final 1040 and his form 8854, which is the form that you file when you expatriate and you have to attach with your first form 1040 NR as a non-resident alien. We did attach the two valuation reports because we're saying to the IRS, we think we were very reasonable in taking this blockage discount because the client could not sell all the stock on one day without cratering the market or creating the value of that stock. And so we move forward. I am still, what the client did is he worked with a Geneva-based lawyer to negotiated a forfait in Switzerland. And a forfait in Switzerland is a an agreement that you enter into with one of the cantons, they're like provinces or states. And in return for paying a fixed dollar amount, you don't pay any tax on your income. This client has multiple millions of investment income, but he doesn't pay Swiss tax on that income because he has a forfait. The forfait has two concepts. One, you can't work in Switzerland. My client doesn't need to work. He's got plenty of wealth. And number two, he has to pay Switzerland based on his lifestyle expenses. So he told them he spends about $500,000 or euros a year on lifestyle expenses. And he got assessed, because he lives in a more rural canton, a very reasonable amount of his Swiss tax obligation. And he has a very low Swiss wealth tax because of how it was negotiated by his Geneva-based lawyer. So he's very happy. My involvement now is to deal with the client's U.S. securities, which are still quite significant, to make sure that he does not have U.S. estate tax. As a foreigner, because as a foreigner, if he owns Amazon or Apple, he's got U.S. estate tax and he only has a $60,000 lifetime exemption or death time exemption. And so we do things such as put his U.S. securities into a Swiss partnership, and then we're, we've elected to be treated as a foreign corporation in the U.S. by filing a Form 8832. We've also dealt with some of his legacy private equity by putting it into an irrevocable Jersey trust, which is an income tax blocker and an estate tax blocker. So even after he left the U.S., I'm still involved advising him to minimize his U.S. estate tax. And we still have the dilemma of how does he get money back to his 
U.S. citizen parents and and siblings because they would incur U.S. inheritance tax under Section 2801 of the Internal Revenue Code if they receive from him gifts or bequests more than $17,000 in any calendar year. So that's a lot, right? So I, I think that the takeaway there is obviously every person's situation is specific. It can get very esoteric, very granular, right? So important to have the right people in place. I think the takeaway there for that story is it's essential to get it right. And it's very hard to put the toothpaste back in the tube. And so preparation is key. David, maybe you've written some really great content around this, but obviously if it matters a lot, we have to get it right. What are the rules? What are the guidelines? And you do this really well in terms of setting up the conversation to have around the boardroom, but also around the kitchen table, because at the end of the day, typically it involves a family conversation as well. In that particular case, we had a single individual, so he didn't have to sell. It was only him at the at the breakfast table. And so we end up having just in general, our American clients tend to fall into three different groups. They tend to be those that, gee, if there's a hurricane or some natural event or I have a go bag option, I'm going to bug out for some short period of time. I'm still going to be remain an American taxpayer. I'm not going to spend too much time somewhere else that I'm going to become tax resident there. Fine. If they've got, that could be a Canada, that could be if they've got a lineage citizenship. Remember, if they're from Poland or Italy or Ireland, that opens up not just that country, but 27 different options. So that's the go bag option. Then you've got the person saying, I don't like how things are in the United States right now, or maybe I want to give my kids a few years of a year in Provence kind of idea, living abroad, then there'll be an American living abroad. And there's a a whole bunch of tax issues of being an American living abroad. And if they're spending to, you know, more generally more than six months in some other country, how the two marry. And then there is the full, I'm going to leave the U.S. tax system, which is the example that, that Mel gave. And one of the keys is to to have a plan that is that works for all the family members and especially when you're dealing with multiple generations but the parents are going to be at a different place than those who are entering university or starting their careers versus young children and so you have to have a plan which is livable i'll sometimes get a client and call me like look i've just been sued i've been audited i've just gone through a divorce move me somewhere there, where there's no lawyers and no taxes. And I said, okay, we'll move you to Pitcairn Island. Only 67 people on earth had decided, no, I want schools and airports and infrastructure, et cetera. So as it turns out, we end up moving a lot of clients when we do this to what are thought of as high-tax countries, but on a lower controlled tax basis. So we're balancing lifestyle with, with the making it as tax efficient as possible. And the client that, that Mel talked about, we could have moved him to Cayman. He wouldn't be paying any forfeit, but Cayman is a small island. Once you played all three golf courses and <laughs> dive at Singray City in Switzerland, there's a lot more things that fit his lifestyle. And if you've got other family members, I've got, for example, nine-year-old twins, so I'm going to be somewhere nine months of the year. So let's make that as tax efficient as possible. And 
the wildfire concerns for Americans we've laid out and other parts of the, the world, you're worried about your government, sovereign risk. You don't, if you're Chinese, you don't want to be the next Jack Ma. If you're Saudi, you're not anxious for MBS to make reservations for you at the Ritz-Carlton. If you're an Indian national, you may not be want to go back into the welcoming tax arms of Uncle Modi. If you're in the UK, you may be sitting there saying, Labor's going to win. What are they going to do to me tax-wise? And it's understanding what are the concerns, what are the needs, and what kind of plan do we come up with that will address that will make life still livable and, quite frankly, maintain or possibly even increase lifestyle. And I think that's important because the marketing to this cohort would have you believe that it starts with choosing where you want to go and then you flow into that, whereas your approach makes a lot more sense. You put a holistic review around everything and you don't have a dog in the fight necessarily. And you say, given everything that your financial situation presents as well as what your family is telling you that they all need, then we're going to slot you into some options and review them all. Yeah. So, Brian, let me pick up on what David said and give you an example of how this inheritance tax is so draconian. So in 2014, this is before my involvement with this client, which I've only been involved about two or three years. But in 2014, my client gave up his U.S. citizenship and he ran, he spent most of his professional career in the Far East, in Japan, and to some extent in Hong Kong. And in 2017, his wife also gave up her U.S. citizenship. When my client, the husband, gave up his citizenship, he was clearly a covered expatriate. He's making a lot of money. They have assets overseas. They also come back to the U.S. to visit periodically. His wife had filed with a big four accounting firm in 8854, but it wasn't complete. And I wanted to make real sure that it was complete and made full disclosure for the following reason. When my client, the husband, departed the U.S., he was a covered expatriate. However, we could prove, and we filed an amended 8854 for 2017, that the wife had under $2 million of assets and she was not a covered expatriate under the other criteria. And that became very important, as I'm going to explain. They have two U.S. citizen daughters. They now have very significant wealth and live in Singapore. Singapore has a very low tax system. Singapore has no tax treaty with the U.S. And my client was concerned about leaving money, property, to his citizen, U.S. citizen children. So what we have to do is take a few years, put all the investment assets, several LLCs, that own U.S. and non-U.S. property, put them into the name of the non-covered expatriate wife and have her make all business decisions, all investment decisions for a few years. And then she will consider transferring the LLC interest into a new trust for the benefit of the U.S. citizen children. My client will be very distant, the husband will be distant from that transfer. 
He hasn't touched those assets for many years. But it's real important, even after the fact, after they've moved, to get it right. Because it's a tax on the children who are the U.S. citizens. That's the inheritance tax. And estate tax is an estate tax on the transfer of assets, which most Americans and advisors are familiar with. They're less familiar with inheritance tax, which is very common all over Europe and parts of Asia, where the tax is on the recipient. And this is this inheritance tax was put into the law in 2008, but it's very part, very much part of all exit tax planning that I undertake for clients who are thinking of going the, the third route, which is to give up their U.S. passport. And to highlight this, I would point you to the following example. Suppose a grad student from India or somewhere has $3 million of cash in a bank account and they spent 10 years in the U.S. with a green card. And let's just make it up that they're married to a U.S. citizen. Let's pretend they move back to India or move outside the U.S. If they have, if this individual has $3 million of cash, it's not appreciated cash. So there's no exit tax. However, the individual is a covered expatriate because they have more than $2 million of personal net worth. If that individual goes and founds the next Infosys in India and then wants to make gifts and bequests of the after-acquired self-made money to his U.S. citizen children, the U.S. citizen children have inheritance tax. So it's real important to get it right and to understand what you're getting yourself into. The covered expatriate classification lasts for a lifetime. And it can even apply to assets that someone acquires from a covered expatriate who's been dead for 30 years. So it's quite draconian, much worse than the exit tax, but it receives much less publicity than the exit tax. The exit tax is 23.8% of your worldwide appreciated assets and you get basis. But here it's 40% tax imposed on everything in excess of $17,000 that a U.S. citizen or resident receives in a calendar year. Exceptional family offices, family enterprises, wealth management, and financial services organizations require superior leadership to successfully thrive in today's competitive environment. Building a team of talented leaders is a complex challenge that is best accomplished in partnership with a firm that offers a proven track record of success, which is why I'd like to introduce you to our new sponsor, Mac International. Mac International is recognized as the premier boutique firm that specializes in providing retained executive search and strategic human capital consulting solutions to single and multi-client family offices, family enterprises, and the full spectrum of wealth management advisory, investment management, and financial services firms that serve ultra-high net private investors and family offices on a national and international basis. If you're interested in learning more about Mac International, visit their website at macinternational.com. And one of the things, Brian, to understand, and you alluded to this before, which is understanding where the clients are starting at, coming up with a plan to where they want to end up that'll meet all their goals. And again, there are lots of what I refer to as kind of brick salespeople. And whereas Mel and I are really architects designing the plan. And if we need to 
because it's required, go for a citizenship by investment or residence by investment and buy that brick to build the house, we'll make it the commission back to the client. So we're not choosing one brick over another, whereas a lot of people are, oh, I want to sell you a golden visa here or there. And for a lot of this industry, I started, I, I really appreciated that a lot of the other, the brick salespeople out there just didn't understand all the minute and all the kind of landmines that Mel would know. So we actually started a, a, a column called American Exceptionalism <laughs> because you have this exceptional citizenship-based taxation. And you can also find out kind of some white papers that Mel and I did on the expatri- immigration and tax on expatriation and on the Americans living abroad. For the American who just has the go-bag option, they're just like a regular American. They're not acquiring it somewhere else. We also did, because we saw another movement from another zone, a, a paper on, we had a lot of Israeli tech founders, Startup Nation, who as a result of the political discourse and, and controversy before this war, were moving to look to the United States because the U.S. has the infrastructure for that tech industry. And so also we can forward to you, we did a two-part on the integrated immigration and tax issues for Israelis setting up in the United States, both. And when you're coming into the U.S., we do a lot of that too, because the U.S. is a destination for a lot of international clients. How do you do that tax and immigration efficiently? And how do you make sure you don't, in this case, you properly jump out of the U.S. or the Israeli pot and make sure you don't jump into the U.S. tax fire. And so it's that kind of integrated planning. And if you think of, again, to use the, 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 the fire analogy, the premium for fire insurance and a fire escape plan is a rounding error compared to the kind of cost to your fiscal health of, of not doing it right. And Brian, I would just pick up with the the reverse of exit tax planning or expatriation planning, and that is, what if someone from England decides they want to move to the United States? You would think that should be just fine. That's not the case. So it, I would then have to engage with UK counsel to confirm the following. If it's a person whose father was English and they were born in England, they're a domiciliary of origin. And according to the London lawyers I've spoken to, it may take 15 to 20 years after you leave England to shed your domicile of origin. It's a very different concept than we have in the United States. Contrast that with someone who David and I know, who's a lawyer, born in Italy, specializes in Italian law, and he's working at a law firm in England. Let's assume he's been there for 20 years. But that individual is a domiciliary of choice. And a domiciliary of choice could move to the U.S. and has a tail of three years during which they're still considered deemed domiciled in England. But after the three years, they could do U.S. estate planning. In addition, if that individual from Italy wanted to go back to Italy, or let's say it was an individual from India or Pakistan, those treaties have specific overrides of the deemed domicile rule in England. So you get to see how complicated our world is. 
extremely complicated, which is why I'm thankful that we have you all on the show just to have a resource to point people to. Maybe to help every situation is different. I think we've heard a lot of fact patterns already in the last 30 minutes. But if you're considering alternative citizenship or alternative home and business locations, maybe locating financial resources abroad, et cetera, and we use just an American perspective here, U.S. citizen, what are the questions to ask and who are the people to make sure that you engage early on before you make any decisions or execute on anything? I think that's where you have an integration of you would have Mel and I on a call. And I would be asking questions like, you seem to have an Irish name, Brian, do you have a parent or grandparent? So I'll I'll probe that part of it. What's the family structure? What is everybody achieving? Do you have school-aged children? How flexible are you? What do you require from a business and personal point of view? And we would also try to, what is the concern? Is it a go-bag option? Are you thinking of putting your children abroad. One of the things in my personal background is I swear my siblings and I didn't go out nightclubbing looking for Europeans to dance with. But my older sister married a Latvian, my brother married an Italian, I married a Pole, and my younger sister married an Irishman. Now, I'm the only one of the four to actually pick up and move to Europe. But I can tell you, all of my nieces and nephews have done gap years, studied, lived abroad. So that fire insurance can also be a useful tool. And again, it passes on 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 generations. Once we figured out where you're at, what your situation is, and what you're trying to achieve, then we would, at that point, Mel would be asking questions like, okay, what are the different, are you going to be an American living abroad? What are all the tax compliance requirements there? If Are you going to be doing an expatriation? That's more complicated. And the example that Mel gave, we'd be asking questions like, okay, do you have publicly traded shares? We can fire up the Bloomberg. We know what your basis is. You know what an FMV is as of close of yesterday. But what about those private companies? What about those restricted shares? Is there a discounting opportunity? When do you do gifts? What's the trigger point? And on the somebody who's giving up their green card or their U.S. citizenship, yes, I have a, my job is easy. But I need to make sure that we do that. That's going to be defined by what Mel does. And it could be as simple as fine-tuning that the client really cannot satisfy or does not satisfy the covered expatriate status. We have a client right now who spent a good part of the past few years working in England, which is a good factor. Because he claimed he was making a lot of money and he claimed the U.S. tax credit to reduce his federal tax liability and therefore his average five-year federal tax liability, one of the criteria for covered expatriate, will be below the required threshold. But it took me time. I had conversations with the accountant. I retained the accountant under a Covell arrangement using my privilege. And we talked to the client because the client's now in the Mideast and this particular client no longer has foreign tax credits. And as it turns out, he's got a window year of one year, 2024, when we think he can abandon his green card, which he's held for many years and not trigger an exit tax. So it's doing things such as that. 
or maybe it's as simple as putting the clients in touch with U.S. accountants who specialize in international tax compliance. There are a few of them, and we know who they are, but not every U.S. accountant is comfortable doing some of these tax forms. And as David indicated, the final point I would make is that the best planning opportunities for people thinking of giving up their U.S. citizenship or abandoning their long-term green card status is that such planning be undertaken in a calendar year before the year of expatriation. And that is in part because the IRS takes the position, I'm not sure if it's correct, but they take the position that any gifts you make in the year of expatriation, there's no $13.6 million 2024 lifetime gift tax exemption. It's zero because on December 31st, you're gone from the U.S. I don't know if that's correct, but we don't want to challenge that. And so we try to do planning in a calendar year before the year you leave. It's a lot. So maybe let's go from the perspective of the alternative citizenship, what's probably referred to incorrectly as this golden visa. There's a lot of these schemes being thrown around over the last few years, accelerated by COVID, obviously. There's a lot of options and they're always changing, it seems, in and out of favor. But what are some red flags, kind of instant deal breakers that you all are aware of as people pursue and investigate some of these options? Sure. So there's a, a residence, which is the right to reside in a country, which may or may not lead to a citizenship through naturalization. For example, you can get a residence permit in the UAE, Dubai, but you're it's only going to be for 10 years, and it's never going to lead to UAE citizenship. There are other places, one that's been quite popular, Portugal, and that's referred to as golden visas. So it's Portugal, Spain, Italy, Greece, Malta. These are all jurisdictions which will grant you residence in exchange for some, maybe it's a government fee, maybe it's a, an investment in property, maybe it's, that's all defined. In other cases, Portugal, you can spend 500,000 euros on a private equity fund and get your golden visa there. Or if your contribution is that you're going to spend more than six months of the year there because you've got nine-year-old twins who are going to go to school or you're tired of the weather in Edinburgh and you're going to prefer to be on the Algarve for nine months of the year, that's your contribution. You get the same residence permit, but under an effect a retirement in some countries it's called pensionero programs. So we look at what all those are. When we look at red flags, I haven't yet to have a client that's immigrated to Eritrea. So the U.S. has a <laughs> unique kind of citizenship-based taxation. But you also need to look at, are you moving into a jurisdiction with forced airship rules? Are you moving into a jurisdiction? Are you getting a citizenship because you've got a Dutch ancestor, the Dutch, or you're going to take out citizenship like Eduardo Saverin in Singapore that doesn't allow dual citizenship. And maybe you want to hold on to your American citizenship. Is there military service? Law of return to Israel is making Aliyah to Israel. It's something we do a lot of. But again, for adults, male and female, particular age, that means military service in, in the IDF. Some people that not a problem. In fact, they welcome that. For others, it's a deal breaker. So it's understanding 
what are the ramifications from attacks, from domicile, as Mel was referring to, from dual citizenship, from military service, looking at all of these things. So I've had, for example, clients who had, and in some jurisdictions, for example, in Germany, you can apply to be exempted from the normal dual citizenship, but you need to do that. So it's understanding all of those different rules and, and, again, putting together the plan and getting the appropriate bricks and then project managing of building the house. And from a tax point of view, Brian, I would say that if any individual were to be living in one of these other countries, then you, and becoming a tax resident there as an American, then that automatically, let's pretend they moved to somewhere in Europe, Europe, continental Europe, excluding obviously the UK and Ireland, is civil law. It's not common law. In the Middle East, is Sharia law. And as David alluded to, civil law, children have certain forced airship rights that we don't have in America. Moreover, in most of the European countries, spouses, if that's where the marriage occurred or there's a move there, one has to look at whether the property is community property we have in California, Texas, and some other states, but virtually every country in Europe has community property. More problematic is that in civil law countries, Spain, Germany, they do not recognize common law trusts. So how do you deal with that? There's the Hague Convention on Trusts. Some European countries have adopted it, some have not. And that is why it's critical to have local counsel in the local jurisdiction who can advise someone who is an American on how they should mesh their estate plans. It's now possible to elect under a certain regulation of the EU um, to have the U.S. law apply for succession purposes, for tax purposes, and for tax purposes in Europe in general. If you own real estate that's located there, it's going to be taxed for inheritance tax purposes to the recipient. And and one other point that Mel alluded to was family law. Uh, Income tax, that's a percentage of income. Divorce, that's a percentage of capital. So we, uh, I, I tell you war stories, but we don't have enough time of clients that moved to the United Kingdom. They had a a remittance tax basis, so it was wonderful from an income tax basis. It's also the divorce capital of the world. And and divorce is not a black swan event. I've got, as I mentioned, a a nine-year-old boy and a girl twins. Statistically, one of them is going to get divorced. Uh, I'm betting on my daughter. She's already attracted to the bad boys. And what kind of planning can we do? It would be much better for her should it Follow, should the marriage come, come to an end, for her to be able to say to her soon-to-be ex, I'd, I'd love to give you half, but my father retained this guy named Mel Warshaw who set it all up in a trust, and so I own half of nothing, um, as opposed to relying on prenuptials, which in some jurisdictions work, in others' jurisdictions are an interesting thing to starting point, or not at all. Mel, did you have something you wanted to add? I Yes, I draft many trusts, and I draft them often in Nevada because it's a very favorable asset protection state. But more importantly, there are some other features of Nevada trust law that work well for international clients. But I'm not a family lawyer, nor is David, and we have access to people 
people specifically do international cross-border family law because it's so specialized. And this particular individual I'm thinking of, he knows people all over the world and can select the best people to quarterback a team of advisors to best advise someone who has this global imprint. Yeah, you have to intro me. I'd love to have him come on the show and talk about that and go a little bit deeper. This has been terrific. I want to close the conversation with, we try to create evergreen content, but we're living in in an episode where there's a lot happening. We alluded to some of it earlier on. I'm curious to hear from your clients. Maybe I'll give you a a fact pattern where it's an ultra-high net worth individual or family office, domestic U.S. citizenship, a young family, so children who are 10 and under. What are you hearing from them if they are exploring alternative citizenship or maybe locating assets outside of the U.S.? Are there some logical places that they, I know you're not trying to advise them to go here versus there, and there's probably more you need to know, but just generally speaking, what's on the menu these days for those folks? One of the things is getting an alternative citizenship. So we look at the lineage. We look at, is there an economic citizenship? Does that make sense? Are they like the Les Bronx nieces and nephews that can gallivant around Europe, which is good? Do we have a bug out solution such as Canada that we can get relatively cheaply and quickly without the tax ramifications if they don't spend a lot of time there? We're doing a lot of that. And the when we talk about go bag to American living abroad to expatriation, you can move through, you can start thinking it's a go bag, something happens, okay, I'm going to be America living abroad. One of the major and wildfire concerns some clients have is saying, what if the Democrats hit the trifecta next November? Then it's going to be a question of what can the progressive sell of the moderates on? What's going to be all that fire prevention, grats and other planning, super Roths, is that going to go? Are we going to have a increase in capital gain? Are we going to have a you know, taxation of unrealized capital gain? Uh, more is going to be decided before next November. So there's all those different concerns. So having enough tools to be able to do whichever way the political winds are going to blow your wildfire concerns, that you're going to be able to to, to do it. And considering the cost versus the damage, clients are looking at all the options. Because especially for ultra high net worth clients, the question is not, should I be doing this? The question is, why on earth am I not doing this? And what I would add here, Brian, is that the key consideration for Americans who want to give up their U.S. citizenship is how easy is it going to be for me to get back into the U.S. to visit? Now, what David can share with you in further detail is that if I pick a citizenship in Europe, All the EU countries have visa-free waiver back into the U.S. Get an Esther card, and it's pretty easy to come and visit the U.S. Recently, Israel was admitted into this small club, making it much easier for Israelis, Jews, and Arabs to travel from the U.S. to Israel or vice versa because they're part of the visa-free waiver program. However, for the client who goes to the Caribbean, they're going to have David get them an appointment for a visa and an embassy. That's a key consideration as to where you put your second citizenship. Yeah, it's fascinating. I know I'm part of YPO 
and have the opportunity to speak to people all over the world. Concentrations, obviously, for the most part, Western Europe, Southeast Asia, etc. But you make a good point. I think a lot of folks who spend the majority of their time in the U.S. don't realize access to healthcare, access to education is highly variable. When you go to some of these places that might look nice on a postcard, it's a lot different when you need to spend nine months out of the year there. Right. And so the ex- experience you all have is great. Unfortunately, we're running up against time, but we'll have to do a part two because this has been really great and helpful. And there's probably a lot more nooks and crannies that we could explore. If people are interested in learning more about the services you all provide, what's the best way for them to engage with you and get in touch? Maybe we'll start with, we'll start with David. Yeah. Okay. Lesperance Associates. So the spelling of the last name will be in the program notes, I'm sure. And you can send it an email either to info at Les Bruns Associates or David at Les Bruns Associates. The, the white paper, Brian, that you mentioned and the two uh, on backup plans and the two white papers that I mentioned with Mel and I are on both of our websites and the contact details are there. And my website is Melvin A. Warshaw, all one word, dot com. And the best way to reach me, Melvin, M-E-L-V-I-N dot Warshaw, W-A-R-S-H-A-W at gmail.com. I look many times every day, even when I'm not in my office. Yeah, I'm sure you all are very busy these days. A question that we ask everyone that comes on the show as well, and we'll do the same order. So we'll start with David and then go to Mel. Do you have a daily practice that helps bring peace to your life? Mine is, I don't know if it's bringing peace because I'm listening to podcasts as I do it (laughs) these days. But mine is going for a walk and swimming and then just kind of turning off, going home and spending some family time. The unfortunately, or fortunately, my children discovered horseback riding these these days, which means that our lives are going to revolve around horses. And uh, I've already got the kind of cow eye saying, can you buy me a pony? Mm -hmm. So. And for me, it's that family comes first. We have three grandchildren. And it's the best. It's terrific. And these days, I try not to listen to any news until 9 p.m. at night. Yeah, I think that's probably a healthy way. David, Mel, thank you so much for joining us. We'll have to do another one. I appreciate you sharing everything. Encourage people to reach out because you all are a wealth of knowledge. And I know a lot of families are exploring these different kind of avenues today. So thank you all for Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
what you do, and I look forward to staying in touch. Thank you, Brian. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for today's conversation on the Capital Club podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, be sure to like, rate, and leave us a review. And please follow us on your favorite streaming platform so you never miss an episode.